Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 100th episode of Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I am your host, as always, Carrie Parker. This is it. This is the Pod Centennial. This is the one that we've been building up to and talking about for the last few weeks. I'm so, so excited uh, because our guest today is none other than Bruce Schneier. Bruce Schneier may not be a household name outside the area of security, uh, but he is a world-renowned privacy and security guru. He's written like 14 books. He's testified in front of Congress several times. Uh, he literally wrote the book on applied cryptography back in the day. He uh, is just an amazing guy, and I'm so glad he finally agreed to come on the show. I've been wanting to get him since basically day one, and what a great episode for him to come on my 100th episode what i'm calling my pod centennial and that's not all we've got all sorts of other great stuff uh, in this show uh we've got a big contest we're going to be giving away a whole a whole bunch of books uh and not just regular books but signed books so i'm gonna uh five lucky winners and we're gonna talk about this at the end of the show five lucky winners are gonna get a signed copy of my book firewalls don't stop dragons along with five signed and possibly personalized copies of Bruce Schneier's new book, Click Here to Kill Everybody. Uh, funny title. We're going to talk a lot about that in the show when we get to the interview with Bruce. Um, so anyway, stay tuned at the end of the show. There's even more than that. We're going to talk about all the stuff I'm going to be giving away. Lots of great stuff. Uh, but you got to listen to win, and you got to listen all the way to the end of the show, uh, and I'll tell you how to enter. So I would like to say, uh, hopefully we have some new listeners today. And I've uh, been trying to spread the word as much as possible and asking some of our longtime listeners to reach out to their friends and family. Hopefully, we've brought in some new listeners. So just in case we did, I just wanted to give you a quick overview of how I do things here. Um, uh, the show comes out once a week on Mondays. And I try to go back and forth, uh, usually like literally toggle back and forth between a news show and an interview show. Uh, the news show is all about, you know, things that are going on actually right now in the news, you know, hacks and viruses and new laws and things like that, that I feel that the average, you know, everyday person needs to be aware of, which is, you know, let's face it, 99% of the populace. Um, you know, so I try to keep you up to date on those kind of things, particularly giving you things that you can actually do to protect yourself, uh, in those cases, or, you know, things, remedies you can take if you have been affected, like, you know, when the Equifax breach hit and things like that, uh, things you could do to um, mitigate the damage uh, if possible. And the other week, I usually try to bring in some expert from the field, either in security or privacy, uh, or something related to those topics, and have a really good, interesting discussion about these things. And th those actually tend to be the longer shows. I really enjoy doing those too, So, uh, which I'm sure you'll pick up on. Uh, anyway, I just want to give you a little bit of a flavor for how this show works. This also just happens to be uh, January 28th is Data Privacy Day. That's an international data, data privacy day, actually. Uh, couldn't have planned that better if I tried, and I didn't plan it. It just worked out that way. So that is really, really cool. So we're going to be focused on privacy in today's show. Uh, after we talk with Bruce, I'm going to kind of run through uh, a lightning round of some of my favorite privacy tips. We've also actually got some privacy tips phoned in uh, from some of my previous guests. I reached out some, to some of my previous guests and asked if they would provide some of their own personal tips, and we've got some of those to share as well. So all in all, just a really great way to celebrate uh, the 100th episode. And let's not wait any longer. Let's get right to this great interview with Bruce Schneier. Bruce Schneier is an internationally renowned security technologist and the author of 14 books, including the bestseller 
click here to kill everybody. He's written many articles and papers, has an influ influential blog called Steiner and Security. It's a board member and or board advisor for several organizations, including EFF, Epic, Tor, and Verified Voting. And he's even testified in front of Congress. The list goes on and on. I have been dying to interview you since day one uh, on this show, and you've graciously agreed to come speak to our audience on our Pod Centennial episode. Bruce, thanks so much for coming. Welcome to the show. Oh, it is nice to be here. Congratulations on 100 episodes. Thank you very much. Uh, and of course, what great timing. It just so happens that I did not plan this. It just so happens that today is Data Privacy Day, uh, International Day. Is it day. really? Yeah. Yeah, well, well, happy Data Privacy Day. <laughs> Yeah, January 28th. So what, to celebrate, we should not go on Facebook or something? Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that. <laughs> um, so I've, I've got so many questions for you, but the, the one that, for me, the crux of the matter always seems to come back to this, and I don't understand it, and maybe you can help me understand. Why, is it is it that people don't know what's going on, or they just don't care? Why are we so cavalier about sharing all this data in exchange for quote-unquote free services? And what, what does it take for people to get mad about this? What, how do we get here? So it's complicated, right? And, and your question really brings that out. You know, it, it kind of makes no sense, yet it happens. Well, a couple of things are going on. One, privacy is a right. And most rights you don't notice until they're gone. Mm -hmm. right? You don't really notice that you have freedom or privacy until suddenly you don't have it anymore. So it's really hard to proactively take steps when you don't really understand what the lack of the thing means. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And that makes it difficult. Uh, the second is that these services are designed to make people not think of these things. Mm -hmm. So when you go on Facebook, you don't think about privacy. You think about talking to your friends. When you pick up your cell phone, you don't think, you know, I'm going to put my tracking device in my pocket <laughs> today. Right? You think I need to make and receive calls and get my messages and email. So the things we want are very real and very visceral, and the things that it costs us to get them, the privacy, is very abstract, mm -hmm. right? And it's, and it's not salient. Yeah. So it's not that, you know, if you ask people rationally, do, you know, what do you value? People value their privacy again and again and again. But when it comes time to the moment, what you want is to get your email, to talk to your friends, to navigate to your destination, to make that call. Right? Those are all the things you want at the moment. And it's not just privacy. You see this in environmentalism. You see this in health, that the things we want in the abstract are mm -hmm. not the things we do <laughs> moment to moment. Right? Because the things we want are, are hard and virtuous. Yeah, And the things in the moment are, you know, extra large fries. That'd be great. <laughs> right, yeah. So, so what will it take? In a sense, it's almost not possible for us at the cash register to make these decisions properly. Mm -hmm. Right, which is why in sort of all of these things, in, in health, in public safety, in privacy, in, you know, environmentalism – we tend to we tend to reach to our best selves, which is our collective selves and our policy selves, and not our immediate gratification selves. Right? If it was up to us individually to you know to buy pajamas that didn't catch on fire and weren't made by child labor, that would never happen. 
right? Because it's five dollars cheaper. And when you're at the store, five dollars is real money, and everything else is more abstract. But if we can come together and agree, right, pass a law that constrains our immediate gratification selves, then we do better. So that's a, that's a complex answer, but that's the kind of thing that's going on. And I don't know if it'll take anything. You know, it means there have been so many major privacy breaches. And every one, you say, well, this will be the one, right? Equifax. Oh, yeah. Right. OPM, every single government official, this will be the one, this will be the one. It never is. Because in the end, those are all abstract risks. And an abstract risk paired against a real immediate benefit is going to lose every time. So let's let's jump ahead. I was going to get to this eventually, but you've pretty much called it out. So by any other word, that's regulation and that and as soon as you say that word and i've done this myself on twitter i've said this word and you know someone said you had me until you said regulation because it just turns off half the populace as soon as you say regulation i don't know what it is about this country but they 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 believe that there's no role for government and yet in time and time again as you explain this in your books and your essays and your blogs you come back to the same point where the market cannot solve this so explain to me explain to the audience why and you've talked a little bit about this. Why the market cannot solve this? Why is it? Is there? Do we just need more transparency? Would that do it? Would that let people make smart decisions and the market would just work? Or does it really come down to we have to have regulation? Well, again, it's complicated. And those people who say no regulation you know, do drive cars that don't crash <laughs> and do eat at restaurants and don't get poisoned and do you know go buy medicines without fear of of being poisoned. Right. That that and in fact, people who say they want no regulation are just not paying attention. <laughs> that, in fact, the only way to survive modern life is through regulation. And I flew back uh, from uh, from Europe a few days ago, and I got on the airplane, and I was unable and had no expertise to verify that that plane was safe. I, mean, I can't say to Delta Airlines, okay, before I get on, let me see the maintenance record for this aircraft, please. <laughs> right, I mean, you right. laugh because that's ridiculous. <laughs> And it is ridiculous. And, and yet I can get on that plane without even worrying about it because I know there are regulations sort of backing up the safety record, backing up the pilot training and pilot rest and all the things I've never even thought of. Yeah, right. So it's not really about education because you cannot become an expert in food safety, in pharmaceutical safety, in airline safety, in internet safety, in automobile safety, in building safety. You just can't do that. Mm-hmm. That's impossible. Right. right. So what we do as society is we say, okay, look, I can't become all of those experts. So I'm going to delegate to an organization who will do this work for me. And that organization is a public organization that organization is a government organization. That's what we do. Yeah. And that's what that's what works. Now, some there there are other issues you have with the fact that you have market failures. I mean, take Equifax. Let's right. assume that it was a great market and Equifax lost all your data. Now go fire Equifax. Oh wait, you can't. Right? You're not their customer. Right. You have no actual business relationship with them. So what could possibly the market do? The market rewards right, cheap information about you sold to third parties without your knowledge or consent. That's what the market is. Yeah. Now, 
does the landlord who buys the credit report from Equifax for you when you rent the apartment care about your privacy? Kind of not really. <laughs> right. right? So you're going to have enormous market failures, right? Facebook. And Facebook is a monopoly. Yeah. I mean, I mean you can not be on Facebook and more people are, but it socially can be very difficult. Yeah. Right, that's where things happen. Yeah, I mean, right. I'm not on Facebook, and I and I feel it. Yeah, right. And of course, Facebook goes out of their way to ensure that you're not really thinking about privacy when you're sharing. You're thinking about friends. You're thinking about telling them things, being closer to them. You know, all the things that allows them to mine your data on the side. Right, and there is no competitor. I mean, it's interesting that that there really aren't competitors viable to these large services that don't spy on you, right? which shows you that the market isn't working. Right. right. I can't choose the more private version of Facebook. There is none. <laughs> right. And if there was and my friends aren't on it, it's kind of boring to be there. Right, yeah. So again, I, I'm sort of stuck. Right? But, and, and, but you know, this is not unusual. There exists no industry in the past century and a half that has improved their security and privacy, let's call it safety, mm. you know, without being forced to by the government. I mean, sort of go through the list. Cars, planes, pharmaceuticals, uh, medical devices, consumer goods, mm. um, workplace safety, uh, agricultural safety, uh, finan most recently financial products. Right? The market doesn't reward providing these safety and security features. Right? The market rewards churning out the thing as cheaply as possible and foisting it on the public and, and really making it so they don't know the difference. Well, there's no, there's no consequences, right, either. If you look at Equifax. I mean, you, you thought for sure that maybe Congress or somebody would hold these guys accountable, and it just, it just didn't happen. I mean, there there's well, seems to be no at, downside. At, there is no downside, and that's because there's no regulation. Right? <laughs> so if you look at Equifax... I mean, the, the, what, what did they learn from, from the disaster, right? Skimp on security, hope for the best. If the worst happens, weather the press storm, you'll be fine. Yeah. Right? Facebook learned that after the election. Yeah. That there's no consequence. And because there's no consequence, there's no reason to do better. Right? There has to be consequence. And regulations are effectively consequences, right? Regulations are how we're going to spur innovation here. Right. The myth you'll hear from Silicon Valley, from everybody, is that regulations hamper innovation, right. which is fundamental bullshit. <laughs> right. It just isn't true. Right. What, what regulation does is it raises the cost of not doing the thing. I, mean, I have a lot of computer security uh, technologies that I can bring to bear on this problem. Right. The thing is that Equifax doesn't want to buy them because they're expensive. Yeah. And if I want Equifax to buy them, it has to be more expensive for them not to. Yeah. And that's what regulation does. Regulation puts your, it's your finger on the scales of the market and say, we collectively are going to make this group decision that privacy, security, whatever, is more important. And then everybody innovates. Right? Suddenly, there's a market yeah. for data privacy tools. Suddenly, there is a market for another way of doing business and surveillance capitalism that might be more profitable. 
So while we're talking about security, and this is something the, the subject of your most recent book, uh, "Click Here to Kill Everybody," and and IoT. We, we, we should pause and marvel at the title. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I know what it's like to try to come up with a title, and, it, and that one that is eye catching. That 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 one's going to bring you in. It's it's my first clickbait title, but you know you know the sequence here, right? The title just gets you to open the book or yeah. read the or read the blurb on the the Amazon page. And then the blurb gets you to buy it. So the title has to be arresting. That's my first clickbait title, and I'm really proud of it. <laughs> well, unfortunately, it's really not that hyperbolic because uh, as you go through – That's a little hyperbolic. Let's be fair. <laughs> but, 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 it, but it is is a real thing, right? I'm talking about yes. how computers fail in this notion of a class break. That in fact, unlike – oh, it was a good example, cars – Right, you know, we know how cars fail. Cars have cars have parts. Parts have mean time between failures, and every once in a while, cars fail. And there's, you know, this entire ecosystem of auto repair shops in your community that handles this steady stream of broken cars. Right, we know how that happens. Computers fail differently. Right, they all work perfectly until one day when none of them do. Mm. And that different way of failing is what I'm really alluding to, and. The fact that computers now affect the world in a direct physical manner, that they're cars and medical devices, Mm. means it's no longer about data. It's about people's lives. So it really is evocative of what I'm talking about, even as it is a clickbait title. (laughs) Well, and to your point earlier about costing and not not spending the money if you don't have to, when you start talking about IoT, which is Internet of Everything, which is, you know, for some reason our, our compulsion now from a marketing perspective to take something that was quote unquote dumb, something that probably had a computer in anyway, but wasn't connected to the internet and think, Hey, what can we do if we connected that refrigerator or that light bulb or that, you know, whatever toaster I've seen, they've done it with toasters and connect these things to the internet. What else could we do? Or if nothing else, it's a marketing term, but because the cost of those things is so, so important and the margins are so small security is an afterthought at best, right? It's an afterthought. And, and, and you know, we, we tend to laugh at the Internet of Things, but I think it has untold marvels that oh, sure. when, we, when we connect our refrigerators and toys and toasters and cars and everything in cities to the Internet, that there will be these magical benefits we can only imagine today. I mean, I, I, I don't want to minimize the benefits of all these things, our phones, Facebook, the IoT it's, it's freaking amazing, mm. and it will continue to be so. Right? But yes, there are these downsides. And yes, when you have these low-cost devices, there's, there's really not a lot of impetus to put security in. Right? The buyer doesn't care. Uh, the buyer can't make a decision based on it. So, so it's, what, it's what gets left on the engineering floor. So again, without some regulation you'll have very, very poor security in these devices that'll be around for years and decades and right. you know, cause all sorts of problems, both in privacy and in safety. Well, and it's even, it's, they're even indirect costs because like the, the Mirai botnet, there was these, these devices when insecure and when connected to the public internet are vulnerable and the hackers know this. And there's even search engines for these devices that, you know, Shodan, that allow them to find and compromise these devices. And even though it's not affecting you directly, these things are being co-opted into this zombie army to have real world effects on things we do care about, like Dyn DNS. Um, so it's even, it's more than just direct. And the Marine botnet is, is a good example of, of a bunch of things we're talking about. 
so here it is. These are vulnerabilities in interconnected devices, particularly webcams and digital video recorders. And I think some uh, <coughs> some routers. And a, they had default and lousy passwords. And hackers were able to break into them, make them part of botnets that were used to, to do you know, pretty serious damage on the internet. Okay, so a couple of things. Let's say your DVR at home is part of that botnet. You have no way of knowing. There's no light that goes right. on saying, bling, I'm on a botnet. It still <laughs> works as a DVR. Right. And kind of you don't care. Right. right. It still works as a DVR. So you have no economic incentive to replace that. Yeah, right. And, and, and right now, I mean, it was the Mirai botnet that was full of 2016. There are now hundreds of botnets using that same code. Yep. So it is likely that your DVR is still part of uh, or several botnets because of that vulnerability. And you're going to keep that in your living room for another decade, <laughs> like having no idea. And then when you buy a replacement, you're not going to see a label that says, you know, botnet free. <laughs> right, right. But you could very well buy another insecure. <laughs> yeah. right? so, here, so here the market's not going to fix this. With the DVR manufacturer who's doing this uh, you know, at a very low profit margin, right, the engineering team is offshore, it's, it's, it's done, is not going to make this better. Because wow. he has no economic incentive to do anything except give you a box that works at as cheap a price as possible. Right. All right. So let's let's talk a little bit about data sharing or data, data oversharing, maybe. Um, and you know, for me, there's there's at least two aspects. There's like there's active data sharing, and there's what I'll call passive. So you know, when we go on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, and we consciously share photos, political views, uh, you know, we even give our DNA away just to find out what our ancestry is. You know, this is. You know, at least you can say that that was a conscious thing we did. We, maybe we don't understand fully the consequences. But then, to me, like the classic iceberg metaphor, there's this passive layer, you know, where we have this data, you know, we generate tons of data exhaust constantly, leave digital footprints everywhere. Uh, that, to me, is more of a passive thing. Uh, and I think that's probably the area where a lot of people get real fuzzy or maybe don't even think about it. So help our audience understand, you know, what we are doing just by existing in our digital world today that we're not, maybe not conscious of. So this is actually, you know, nice because it's that difference between data and metadata, mm. which, you know, sort of came as the public view in, in 2014 after the Snowden uh, mm -hmm. revelations. So basically, every time you act, interact with a computer, it produces data about that interaction, right? So if you make a cell phone call, if you walk by a camera on the street, if you use an ATM machine, you know, all of these things produce data about what happened. Now that's been true since forever, right? Computers do that. But until recently, most of that data was thrown away <laughs> because right, data storage was expensive, data processing was expensive, data transfer was expensive. Now all of that is cheap. So all that data is, is just saved forever until right? so you go and use a search engine, right? There's data. And you know, Google saves that data. You use a credit card. There's data. You use a cell phone. Now, there's two kinds of data. The, the, the data that you actually uh, produce mm -hmm. knowingly. So you know, we are talking on Skype. Right? So the data is the conversation between us. Mm -hmm. 
right, that we are willingly producing. Uh, if I go to a search engine, the thing I type in, the results I get back, right, the email I type, the Facebook post I type. Then there's metadata, which is really data about data. Mm. The data the system needs to operate. So if in order for this Skype call to happen, the metadata is my ID, your ID, information about your computer, my computer, the date, the time, IP addresses. When I make a, a, a phone call, it's my cell phone, your cell phone, our location data, right, which cell we're in, the duration of the call. You can think about that, that for all sorts of, of things. That's the data that we inadvertently give away. Mm-hmm. Right? When I walk around with my cell phone, data about where I am is generated constantly. Right? It has to be. Otherwise, the phone can't ring. Right, yeah. Right? I, met, I was in Munich a few days ago. I'm sorry, not Munich. I was in Warsaw. And uh, right, if the phone system didn't know it was in Warsaw, people couldn't call me. The fact that the phone works means <laughs> the system knows where I am. Right, yeah. And that's, that's metadata. And that makes the, the, uh, the phone a perfect tracking device. Right? So when you, uh, when you type something into uh, to Google or, or Facebook or any other website, you have a typing pattern, right? How fast you type, how fast you move the letters, that's metadata. And that could be used for authentication. And that could be saved and collected. And, and really, we're at the point where all of this data and metadata can be collected and saved forever. Yeah. Because the cost of data storage, of data transport, and data processing has dropped so cheap that it's basically free. So in all of this data, and especially metadata, that companies used to throw away, now they save. Because it's easier to save it all than to figure out what you should save. <laughs> So that leads to my next question. This is a topic that you've brought up or an angle to this you brought up that I haven't seen often referred to elsewhere. Maybe I'm just reading the wrong things. But the the power imbalances that are generated by this data collection, not only by corporations but by governments, and, and how that how that affects your life in ways that most people probably don't understand until maybe they run afoul of it. So talk a little bit to me about uh, about how the power imbalances grow with this and why that's such an important aspect to this. Well, data is effectively power, right? You have data about someone, you have some power over them. You know, it might be minimal, it might not be useful, but that, that's kind of what's going on. And the reason companies like Facebook and Google are so powerful is, is because they have so much data and they can do things with it. So it's not, not the same for you, know, you to have data about Facebook employees and they have data about you, that you know, who they are and their position makes them a more powerful agent. And this is also true for governments. And if the police have data about you, they can use it in, in certain ways. Right? If you get stopped by the police and they want to see your ID, if you say, well, show me yours first, it doesn't, equal, <laughs> right? it doesn't equalize it. Right? You laugh because you know, what I said was absurd. That, that it doesn't make the inter- interaction equal. Right, I showed you my I showed you my ID. Now you show me yours. Well, no, because because it's the police, right, right. they can do more with it. So data is fundamentally tied with power, and, you, and you'll see this in in privacy laws and open government laws. Right? And sometimes you will see privacy being used as a way that the powerful protect themselves. Right? Why you can't film the police? Right. Yeah. I was going to bring that up. Right. 
Right. You know, and, and, but that makes no sense. Right? The police are in a position of power. Think of the power imbalance, right? The police high and the individual low. So privacy increases your power. Openness reduces it. So this is very visual, so stick with me. Right? The police are high and the individual is low, sort of naturally. Police have more power. Mm-hmm. If, we, if the individuals get privacy, it raises their power, right? which, which lessens the power differential between the police and the individual, and that's good for liberty. If we have surveillance, that lowers the individual's power, and that increases the differential between the police and the individual. That's bad for liberty. Now, let's get to the uh, the police the one on top. Privacy for police increases their power, and that increases the differential and is bad for liberty. Open government laws that reduce the privacy of the police reduces their power. It reduces the differential, and that's good for liberty. Right? And, and that's why you can be pro-privacy and pro-forced openness in government. Because they're both good for liberty. Well, that's a classic thing too. The the the, the trade off that people always say uh, that you must you know to give up give up your privacy in order to have security. Um, can you debunk that one for us? Because that is commonly yes, about. that is easily a tall fence. <laughs> right? There's lots of security. A big uh, a wall. A barky dog. There's lots of security measures that have nothing to do with privacy. Hmm. Now, if you, when you say you must give up privacy for security, you look at them and say door lock. <laughs> right? A door lock gives you security and you do not give up privacy at all. Yeah. And in matter of fact, very often when you give up privacy, it's bad for security. You know, massive surveillance. Hmm. You know, nobody feels more secure by living in former East Germany. Right, we're all under surveillance. Don't you feel secure? I don't. Uh oh. Yeah. Right. That's why they didn't like it. Now, there's a little. This is a little facile. And right? of course, we want. Of course, there are some some measures of security that do reduce privacy. Right. We want the police to invade our personal space in order to solve crimes. Right. That's a good thing. But we recognize that that is an awesome power. And we have controls. We have a warrant process. We have we have various due processes that limit the police's ability to intrude in our private lives right. while giving them that capability. Right? We willingly give it to them with controls right. because we recognize that some at some level we need police need the ability to invade our privacy for our security. Right, but we have additional controls on them. All right, so let's come back to a little, a little more down there, a little more practical stuff. Um, so that's pretty practical. I mean, the warrant, <laughs> the warrant process is a really practical thing. Uh, well, don't, sure. don't, don't diss it so quickly. <laughs> um, so I often hear, and often find myself saying as well, that one of the key problems is that we don't we don't pay money for these services. If the product is free, then you are the product. Um, is that really the problem? Uh, you know, it, for obviously, if you look at Verizon and your ISPs. We pay them a lot of money, and yet we're they, they still they still track us. So, uh, so, so I think that is that that's just very that's just part of the problem. It's certainly true that companies give away their services in exchange for spying on us. You know that that's just part of it. I mean, in in the beginning, it was these companies that were delivering free services that had a surveillance model to. Uh, to, to basically get revenue, and there was no way to charge for the thing they were giving. But 
this is surveillance capitalism. Shoshana Zuboff just published a book with yeah. that title, a phenomenal book. And really, everybody is now doing it. So you go to Amazon, right? They don't give away stuff away. They, they sell stuff. That's their business. And they are spying on you. You mentioned Verizon. So all companies are trying to get into the surveillance game because it is right now so lucrative. And that's perturbing capitalism, really, at all levels. And you want to buy a car, and the, they want to spy on you. You yeah. want to buy a coffee machine, they want to spy on you. So they, the companies, these companies often come back to a couple things. So first of all, they'll say – uh, this data, yeah, okay, sure, we collect data, but you know, it's all it's anonymized, it's it's aggregated. We it's, but it's, it is, but it's it, not. <laughs> they, they, they actually they actually don't say that anymore. <laughs> it turns out to be a lie, and and they don't say it. it's not anonymized, it's not aggregated, right? You know, you, Verizon sells your location with your name on it. Yeah. Right. You know, uh, stores sell your purchasing history. Right. Facebook doesn't sell your data and that they give it away, but they sell access to your data to you, not some anonymous person, to you. Yeah. Right? Surveillance capitalism is about the individual. It's not about anonymous. It's not about aggregate. It's about the individual. Well, of course, the other thing they say is, well, you you, you clicked the service agreement. You agreed to everything that we're doing. And, and I found this thing the other day, which is just wonderful. It was a, uh, some artist named... Uh, Demi Yurovinsky, and he had this thing called I Agree, and he look he took the the social the, the largest social media companies and printed out on regular font all of their terms of service and and ran them end to end, and you actually visually see how long these things are. And the, the winner I think was Instagram at like a th- seventeen thousand words, which he estimated would take an average individual eighty six minutes to read. So, I mean, but they always but they claim well, you, look you clicked you agree, you know if you didn't read it that's not my fault. But 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 you just said that that's not true, right? And it's not. I mean, we talked about this in the beginning. Right? Why isn't notice enough? Because it's it's coerced. Because it's not real. Uh, I the Doc Searles calls this the biggest lie on the internet, and that's every time you click, I read this and I agree. You do it, I do it. Every listener does it. You click it, even though it's not true. You lie all the time. <laughs> yeah, and and. Yes, legally it means you read it, but it isn't true. And this, again, gets back to government regulation. The reason you click and don't worry about it, because in the back of your mind, mm-hmm. you think the government took care of it. Mm-hmm. Right? Just like when I walked on an airplane. In the back of my mind, if I thought about it, you know, it's someone else is handling airplane safety. Right? Someone, else, someone else read that agreement, and it's not onerous. Right? I didn't sell my soul. Even though that's not true... <laughs> It is what we think. You know, we, we believe the government is actually looking out for us. So we all click those agreements without reading it, right? We lie and we say, I agreed. But, you know, that's disappearing. Even that fiction is disappearing. Because that, that agreement, in order for it to work, you have to visit the website, right? You had to go do the thing, open up the software, visit the website. You get the agreement, you click. As computers become more ambient in our lives, there's no, there's no point of interaction mm. where we could agree. Right? When you walk into a store and there are 17 surveillance cameras and your data is being collected, there's no way for you to agree. When I walk into a friend's house and they have an Amazon Alexa, there's no way for me to agree <laughs> that it's listening and, and, and interpreting, doing whatever it does. Right? That, that this agreeing implies 
this screen we visit, and that's disappearing. So even this notice and consent, as uh, laughable as it is, is not surviving. So we, all this comes back to it, and you've talked about this, I know as well, is that we we blame the victim, right? So it, it, the, all these companies basically, oh, if they would have done this, if they'd have changed those privacy settings, those arcane privacy settings, if they just found that one button we gave them that was hided four four levels in and given a weird title like, you know, uh, customize experience, which really means please track me, um, you know, that, that we're blaming the victim. The, but the other part of that is not just the dark patterns of the companies that are trying to collect this data, um, but the just the sheer complexity of this and, and, and security and privacy can be hard. I mean, even if we wanted to do the right thing, often it's difficult. Um, do you envision, is there, uh, we've talked about regulation and I agree. Um, do you envision that there is a, some sort of a technical solution to this that might help? There are lots, but again, the market doesn't reward it, right? If Facebook deliberately makes it hard, deliberately makes it obscure, deliberately makes it so that you don't want to take the time, when you go onto the, the the site and you get a dialog box and it says, our privacy policy has changed. Click here if you want to you know, read the new policy. Right. What you see is, I'm a box. I'm in your way. <laughs> Click here and I will disappear and you can talk to your friends. Right. And you go do that. And it's so, so it's not that it's hard. It's that it's deliberately designed to be hard by the companies because they want you to accept the defaults, which is to be tracked all the time. And again, this speaks to regulation. Right? If regulation forced the companies to use plain language and forced them to give actual options that made sense to their users and, and made defaults more private, then we would have more privacy. So yes, there are lots of technologies that can change this. Technologies of anonymization, you mentioned, technologies of deleting, not collecting, of storing it more securely, of using it more securely. But the companies will never use them because they cost money and there's no benefit to using them. Right? Unless the cost of not using them rises, we'll never see them. Right? I don't have a tech problem here. I have a market problem. So if, the, if regulation is the ultimate solution to this and the only way that's really going to cause any real change in this market, do you have – and you've testified in front of Congress – do you have, A, confidence that the – representatives that we've elected to cover, you know, all sorts of things, not just technology, understand technology enough to, to implement proper solutions and be given, and this is probably a whole other podcast, the campaign finance situation. How do we expect them to really act in our interests and not the interests of the people that are funding their campaigns? So I'm going to ignore the second question because you're right. That's done <laughs> podcast, right? And, and, and that's a bigger problem than security, Right. That's a problem of special interests and money and politics. Mm -hmm. But you know, let's talk about privacy. So no, I don't expect the federal government to do anything. I don't expect them to do anything at all. So what I'm really looking for here are other groups that can take the lead. Europe. Right? Mm -hmm. Europe is the regulatory superpower on the planet. Two years ago, they passed a comprehensive privacy law, GDPR, mm -hmm. General Data Protection Regulation. Came into effect last year. We're going to start seeing prosecutions this year. And that is a big deal. Yeah. And the United States, some states are doing things. Right. California, New York, Massachusetts in particular. California passed a data privacy law last year. They passed an Internet of Things security law last year. New York is regulating cryptocurrencies. And the neat thing about this is that software is right one cell everywhere. So we all benefit. Right. So 
let's take a car for example. For, for a car, the car you buy in the United States is not the same car you buy in Mexico. Right. Environmental laws are different and the manufacturers tune the engines to the local laws. But the Facebook you get in one place is the same Facebook you get everywhere else because it's easier. So California just passed an IoT law, and it doesn't take until 2020. One of the provisions is no more default passwords. Mm. So you imagine a company that makes an interconnected toy or a DVR or something, says, okay, we need to take out our default password to comply with this California law. They're not going to make two versions of their DVR, one for California, one for the rest of the country, because that's stupid. <laughs> right. It's easier and cheaper to sell one version everywhere. So a, a, a good security or privacy law in a large enough market affects everyone. Lots of companies have decided to implement GDPR everywhere because it's easier than figuring out who's European and who isn't. Right, yeah, the internet's right? So, So we are benefiting from a European law. So that's what I think is going to happen. That we're not going to see the federal government do anything, right, for a whole bunch of reasons that are too complicated. Right. But other markets are taking over, and we're going to benefit from that. So, all right, one more policy kind of question, and then I've got to get into some practical advice before we let you go. Um, so at odds with all of that, it seems to me, or maybe it's a different side of this argument, is like the Australian law that just got passed with the Assistance and Access Act. And, of course, the UK's, you know, Investigatory Powers Act that was two hours, two years prior to that. Uh, and, of course, our FBI is talking about going dark. And so is this really – so? Uh, is the difference here that we, we want to control corporations and want to regulate them, but we want to deregulate or or unfetter law enforcement? No, it's more complicated than that. It, it's that we want defense to win, that we want security to be what's most important, and that these laws in Australia, in the UK, what the FBI wants is to weaken security. What the FBI says, right, we need to have a less secure iPhone, you know, WhatsApp chat, because we want to to eavesdrop on what these devices and services are doing. That's that's what they want. The problem with that is that these devices and services are critical infrastructure. That mm-hmm. every US legislator has an iPhone. Our nuclear power plant operators are CEOs of industry, that all of these people use these devices and services, and they need to be secure. That, yes, there is a security benefit in being able to eavesdrop, but there's an even greater security benefit in not being able to eavesdrop. Because once I build an eavesdropping capability, I can't decide who can use it. Right. So, so that's, it's, it's a subtle trade-off. And as computers get more critical – as they go into cars, as they go into you know, IoT appliances and thermostats and medical devices, this becomes much more paramount, right? that we cannot put back doors and devices for the benefit of law enforcement because that makes us all much less secure. All right. So I always like to give my audience uh, practical advice and things that they can actually go and do. Uh, so love to hear what what you what do you do on a personal level what do you recommend for your friends and family in terms of just basic seat belts you know smoke alarms sunscreen kind of level what do you tell them to do to guard their their data privacy what do you do and, and the sad thing is is there's not a lot you can do right? because the data is not in your hands 
And your data is at Facebook, at Google, at Equifax. I mean, so in the wake of the Equifax breach, what's my advice? Don't have a credit card. Don't have a credit rating. Never buy anything ever from anybody. Right? I mean, it's, it's stupid advice. Don't have a cell phone. Don't have an email address. I mean, this is stupid advice. You can't live in the 21st century without these things. And, and, and there's things you can do around the edges. You know, none of it's new. You know, have a good antivirus. Be careful about attachments. But, but in the end, your data is not controlled by you. Right? This is not a problem that you can solve other than by not engaging, which is not really an option. This, it, you, if you really care about this, you must get involved at the policy level. Right? Make this an issue. This was not an issue in the last election, not or actually any election. It needs to be. For sure. Uh, so uh, other than you know the standard call your representative or maybe donate some money, is there anything else from a personal level that, you know, I guess we can, what, hold these guys' feet to the fire at the town halls, ask them these kind of questions? and Yeah, you know, it, it's politics, and politics is complicated, and politics is, is pretty uh, dysfunctional right now. But it really is where we have the power. And until this becomes an issue, it's, it's not going to get solved. My, my fear is that it's going to become a public safety issue. That, in fact, it will take a, you know, click here to kill everybody moment where you know someone crashes all the cars, or I guess more realistically, all the cars of one mate and one right. model year, for Congress to say, "My God, something must be done." But you know, that's that's the kind of environment we're in. Yeah, I worry that the next thing is going to be another terrorist attack, and it's the pendulum's going to go the, the other way. Yeah, I worry about that too. It won't be cyber terrorism. I mean, that's largely a media myth. But yes, you know, if there is another. Uh, terrorist attack with uh, you know with a reasonable death toll and you know a demographic of an attacker that uh, you know we can demonize so it can't be like a, you know a right-wing terrorist has to be a, a Muslim terrorist mm-hmm. that yes I think we'll, we'll lose we'll lose a lot of our freedoms and privacy we wanted them all right well I can't let this go on a downer note so give us some hope what, <laughs> what, what do we what, give us some, give me something to smile about what, what, what are the options here that we can really look forward to what what how's this going to come out? So I think we're going to actually solve this. I, mean, I don't. I don't see the end of our society here. I think we will figure it out, and we will emerge from this uh, more secure, with more security and more privacy. I think it'll take a lot of ups and downs. I mean, the near term is going to be rocky, but long term we'll figure this out. And my belief is surveillance capitalism will one day be an illegal business model, mm-hmm. and we'll look back at it like we look back at, you know, child labor. What do you mean you took small children and put them up chimneys to clean them? That's immoral. And we'll look at, at this sort of thing in, in, in much the same way. And we will figure out you know, better business models and what uh, market economies look like in the information age in ways that are moral. And yeah, and yeah I, th- I think we'll figure this out. Well, I certainly hope you're right. And uh, thank you so much again for coming on and talking to the audience. And it's been uh, wonderful having you on the show, Bruce. And uh, good luck to all you're doing. And keep doing all you're doing because you're, you're making a big difference out there, too. Well, thank you very much. Big, big thanks again to Bruce Schneider for coming on the show. That was really a lot of fun. It was everything I'd hoped it would be. Uh, he's a great person to talk to about privacy and because he makes it clear that it's not, it's not just about you. Uh, it's really about all of us and about society, about democracy. This stuff is really, really important. Uh, and for some reason, if that, has, that wasn't enough to, uh, you know, get you past the, oh, I've got nothing to hide thing, 
Uh, go check out my website, firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com. Uh, I've got a data privacy day entry there. As part of that, at the, the very top, I've kind of got some background on the data privacy day, but I've also got some links to some really good um, kind of background primer stuff on privacy, why it's so important. There's a really great video by Glenn Greenwald, who, of course, was one of the uh, journalists tapped by Edward Snowden when he was going to release all the bombshells that he gave us in 2013. Uh, it's a great 15-minute uh, video. It's well worth watching and sharing. Uh, Bruce Schneier, I've got a link to a really good essay by Bruce called The Value of Privacy uh, and just some other resources. So if, if you're already not convinced, please keep trying because it's we, we really need to get to the point where we really comprehend the real impact this is having on our lives and where this it's already going wrong, but it could get much worse. Also on that list, I'd like to recommend some some books and documentaries and things like that. So check that out as well. Uh, but while I'm going to run through in kind of a lightning round here, uh, since it is Data Privacy Day, I'm going to run through a little bit of a lightning round of some of the, my top tips for protecting your privacy. And as, as Bruce says, it's, it's hard. Uh, in a lot of cases, let's face it, the horse is out of the barn. Uh, we've already left a lot of digital footprints, emitted a lot of digital exhaust, uh, we, we've, we've already given up a lot of data. That is true. And it's also true that it's really, really hard once that data gets loose for us to, we don't even know where it goes. So it's basically impossible for us to control, but, uh, that doesn't mean it's really too late. doesn't mean we can't fight back. doesn't mean we can't register our disdain for this whole surveillance capitalism thing. Uh, and to do that, we've got to take some active steps ourselves. Now, before I go through my tips, I sent some feelers out to some of my past guests, some of the some of my favorite uh, attendees on this show, and asked them to record a quick snippet and send me their privacy tips. So before we get into my tips, let me share with you their tips. Hi, everyone. My name is Andy Yen, and I'm the CEO and founder of ProtonMail. Uh, we're the world's largest encrypted email service uh, that is designed to protect your privacy and improve your online security. Uh, I'm really excited to see this podcast reach 100 episodes because privacy and security awareness uh, is extremely important, and this podcast plays a large role in doing that. Uh, and on the topic of security and privacy awareness, uh, I want to share my uh, you know one security tip. Uh, one thing to be really aware of is that public Wi-Fi is actually quite dangerous. You don't know who is running the Wi-Fi network. You don't know what data they're collecting from you. Uh, you don't know if they're trying to steal your data or um, you know, hack your uh, data. Uh, so in fact, um, I don't recommend connecting to public Wi-Fi without using a VPN service. And if you're interested in getting a VPN service, uh, I can definitely recommend uh, ProtonVPN. That's a VPN service that we've created that is free of charge, doesn't have ads, and doesn't abuse your privacy. So thank you. Hi, Carrie. This is Sean O'Brien from Yale Privacy Lab, and congratulations on your 100th podcast. Uh, your content is always amazing. You've had some great guests. Uh, and I'm really, really looking back on everything you've done, surprised that you've been able to do it in such a short amount of time. So here's to the next 100, and I'm sure it's going to be great. My privacy tip, um, which normally would be, you know, encrypt everything, uh, use Tor browser, something complicated that I'm sure takes a little while to explain. I'm going to try to keep it simple here for 2019. And what I'm going to say is do not trust big tech. So that's my privacy tip. Uh, whatever snake oil is being sold, 
big tech is not your privacy friend. Um, Apple, no matter how many times they try to put up big billboards or take out full page ads in major newspapers or try to focus on privacy, as I'm sure they will at their earnings call, um, Apple, all these big companies are not um, your friend. Obviously, Google and Facebook and uh, so on. Uh, they are selling snake oil if they're saying they're trying to be more private. They're selling snake oil if they're saying they do not track you. Uh, we know that these companies make their bread and butter through tracking, through surveillance of users. So please, be skeptical, keep your eyes open, um, and try to use alternatives, I call them replacements, for big tech whenever possible. Hey everyone, my name is David Reese, and I'm the former NSA surveillance activist with Electronic Frontier Foundation. It's very exciting to be back on the show, and huge congratulations to you, Carrie, for hitting this milestone. 100 episodes is a big deal, and I'm excited to hear more. The one thing I do to protect myself online is I use what's called a password manager, and I have different passwords for every single online account I have. So my Gmail, my Amazon account, my online banking, you know, my online newspaper logins, all those have separate, never-repeated passwords. And the best way to keep track of all those unique passwords is a password manager. It keeps all your logins and unique passwords in one place. But this is important. If you use a password manager, you'll need a unique password to access its database. Remember, this is a repository of all the logins for who you are online. You can't risk someone guessing the password to the ultimate password treasure chest. And if you want to take a step further, and I highly suggest that everyone does, folks should start using pass phrases, not passwords. A great introduction to this is at Electronic Frontier Foundation's website, and folks can just look up EFF passphrases or EFF word lists online. The resources run you through a little activity that uses some six-sided dice, and it's both fun and beneficial. Your online security goes way up, which in turn helps protect your online privacy. Hi, Kerry. This is Daniel from DuckDuckGo, and many congratulations on 100 episodes of Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. The information you put out there is so useful for all kinds of people, from beginners to experts, and the fact you keep doing it so regularly is very impressive. So here's looking forward to a hundred more. And to finish off, I've got a quick uh, privacy tip for people out there. Obviously, people tend to know that you should go into the uh, privacy settings on your phone or your browser, but something that's often overlooked is reviewing the apps and browser extensions that you have installed. Um, we tend to give them access to our most sensitive data without really thinking about it. Things like contacts, calendar, photos, location, browsing activity. So re regularly removing any apps and browser extensions that you no longer use is not just good for your own privacy, but people you communicate with too. So I highly recommend people do that from time to time. So there you go. Thanks again for all the information you, you share with everybody. And good luck with the future of the podcast. So a big thanks to Dr. Andy Yen, David Reese, Sean O'Brien, and Daniel Davis for sending in those tips. And uh, now let's get to some of my tips. If you can actually get to all of these, if you go to the, my blog, uh, firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com, and look for Data Privacy Day, you'll find this list. And uh, I've actually got a list going that I update every year. Uh, on Data Privacy Day. So uh, I'm going to walk through a few of those with you now, but you can get the full list if you want by going to my blog, firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com.
All right, here comes the lightning round. This, these are some of my top privacy tips. Uh, first of all, stop using Google Chrome. Uh, it's a great browser. It's, it has a lot of cool features. It's actually a very secure browser. Google has done some great things in the name of security. Uh, it's just a privacy nightmare. So, you know, it's, it's used by probably 60% of the planet, um, which is quite amazing, given, given where Internet Explorer was for so long, being the dominant uh, browser. Uh, but it, Google is not a search company. Google's not a browser company. They're not even a mobile phone smartphone company because they own Android. If you weren't, if you weren't aware of that, um, Google is an advertising company. Uh, 90% of their revenues are advertising and the way they give away all these products, quote unquote, for free is they track you like crazy. Uh, you know, and you can argue all you want about how, well, they, you know, they aggregate the data, they anonymize the data. They don't, you know, they don't sell it to third parties though. I'm pretty sure they probably do. Um, but actually that third party generally is Google because they're the ones who want to make money off you for the most part. So they're trying to build these dossiers on all of us, these extremely detailed dossiers on us because then they can turn around and charge more for their highly targeted advertising. That is their business model. That is how they work. Their business model is knowing as much about you as possible. And so when you use Google Chrome, you're basically giving them access to absolutely everything you do on the web and think about all the things we do. I mean, the web, you know, the web browser almost is our portal today. I mean, most people think of the computer and the internet. Um, it, it, most of what we do today is somehow through the web browser. So, you know, it's, it's a great browser in a lot of ways, but it's a privacy nightmare. So what do you do instead? Um, if you're on a Mac, Safari is actually a pretty good browser and, you know, they are a lot less likely to want to monetize your data than Google, but I would go with Firefox. Firefox is, works on both Mac and PCs. It's, I think, personally, every bit as good as Google Chrome. Of course, you know, there are going to be some features missing here and there that you might want. But Firefox has got some great features, too. But the real point of Firefox is it's not about monetizing you and your data. So uh, download and install Firefox and make that your default browser. Uh, and then you really need to install some, uh, just a key set of plugins, some privacy and security-based plugins. Uh, the first one is Privacy Badger. It is from Electronic Frontier Foundation, a great organization. Um, this is a actually a learning plugin. It's it's there to prevent tracking, uh, it, but it's actually looking for suspicious tracking behavior, and it's learning over time um, to make it even better. So it's a really cool extension. I would definitely recommend Privacy Badger. Also from the Electronic Frontier Foundation, you can install HTTPS everywhere. Uh, that plugin basically says if you go to a website that both supports HTTP and HTTPS, which means secure and not secure, it will prefer the secure connection. And the secure connection in this case, what that really means is that it's encrypted end to end. So uh, all the data that's going back and forth, every request you make, all the responses you get from whatever website you're visiting, if it's an HTTPS connection, nobody along the way, which includes your internet service provider, by the way, uh, can see what data you're exchanging. And there are some sites that do both, but for whatever reason, default to the insecure mode. And this plugin makes sure that in those cases, it prefers secure. Next up, I would install an ad blocker. And this is kind of controversial. I know that a lot of these websites make their money off advertising. That's how they give away free content. Uh, but unfortunately, these advertisers have just gotten ridiculously overzealous in trying to track you. So um, if you want to, you know, avoid being tracked. And if you want, you know, if you don't want to go to one site and, you know, look at or search for cars and then go to three other sites and see car advertisements, uh, then you need to block those ads as well. 
Uh, Privacy Badger will do some of this for you, but the other, actually, the other aspect to ads is they can actually be used to deliver malware, uh, viruses and uh, scams and, and make you click on links to go to phishing sites. Uh, these things are basically sold like billboards. So, you know, they contract out to some third party that says, you know, fill this space with ads and, you know, and I'll give you a cut of the revenue. So a lot of these websites don't even know what ads are going on their website. And unfortunately, a lot of these, a lot of the bad guys out there have figured out how to use ad at these billboards basically to deliver malware to your computer, you know, so until we get that figured out, um, I just recommend blocking all ads. Uh, it'll make things load a lot faster. Actually, you'll be downloading a lot less crap. Uh, so it shouldn't make your internet connections feel speedier. Um, now, of course, if there are websites that you explicitly want to support, you can still do that with these, um, with these plugins, you can say, you know, whitelist to the site and go ahead and show me these guys, uh, the ads from the site, if you want to do that. Uh, anyway, but back to my uh, original point, the plugin that I would like you to install is called uBlock Origin. Uh, be careful, there is one called uBlock, and it's actually, because it's so popular, there are other minor name changes versions of that, but you want uBlock Origin. U, the letter U, block, like B-L-O-C-K, space, origin. Uh, uBlock Origin. That's a great one. It'll block all the ads for you, and... Uh, Sad to say, that's kind of the best the best recommendation today for protecting your privacy and your security. Uh, and last but certainly not least, uh, I would strongly recommend that you install DuckDuckGo Privacy Essentials. Uh, now, if you haven't heard of DuckDuckGo, DuckDuckGo is an alternative search engine that does not track you. Uh, that's not to say they don't show you ads. They do. Uh, in fact, that is how they make their money. But they they show you ads based directly on whatever it was you just searched for. And they don't record that information. So that when you search on cars on DuckDuckGo and you go off to some other three or four other websites, you're not all of a sudden seeing car advertisements there as well. Um, so it's, I will come right out and say Google is a great search engine. It does some really good stuff. It makes some really smart things, but it does some other things that you may not even realize. Uh, because Google tracks you, because they remember everything you've ever searched for, and they know all this other stuff you've done, you know, do you use Gmail? Do you use Google Calendar? Do you use uh, <laughs> Android? Um, these guys know so much about you that your filter results are actually, uh, I'm sorry, your search results are actually filtered. So when you and I go to the same Google page and search on the same words, we get different results. And, you know, in one sense, it's good because they're tailored toward you. In another sense, it's bad because you never see anything that would be controversial. So anyway, uh, that aside, DuckDuckGo is a fantastic search engine. I've been using it myself almost exclusively for about two years. And by, if you install DuckDuckGo Privacy Essentials, the, the plugin, it will also do some, you know, anti-tracking and stuff kind of like these other plugins do as well. And it doesn't hurt that they're kind of all doing it. That's fine. But it will also change uh, your default search engine to be DuckDuckGo. All right, next up, and this was mentioned in some of our snippets, uh, and that is a VPN, a virtual private network. And a virtual private network is basically a secure tunnel between your web browser or your computer, actually, and the VPN service provider. Uh, what that means is, is that all the other computers and routers and things that are in between you uh, can't see anything that you're doing. It's all encrypted, not just individual connections, everything you do. And the main, there's two main reasons you would want to do this. First of all, because today, and at least in the United States, we've deregulated the ability for your ISPs to track you. Uh, that's a long way of saying we have allowed them to track you. Uh, we used to have laws in place that would have prevented that, but they have been struck down. So your ISP, like Google, uh, is actively 
recording and watching everything that you do on the internet to monetize that data. So if you don't like that and you want to protect your privacy, really the only way you can do that other than the HTTPS connections, which thankfully are very much more common now, is just encrypt everything. Um, and then, so all your traffic goes through this opaque digital tunnel between your computer and the VPN service provider. And then from there, it goes out into the regular internet. So, um, sure, you're actually at this point trading your trust, you know, from your ISP now to the VPN provider. But, you know, VPN providers are all about privacy. And if you pick the right ones, and those are usually ones you have to pay for, uh, they are, that, that their job is to be private. That's where the P comes in virtual private network. Um, so the ones that, what do I recommend? There's a lot of them out there and it's really kind of hard and they, they come and go, but some of the ones that have been around for a long time that have been reviewed, uh, for their privacy aspects that I can recommend are express VPN. Uh, it's very popular. It's very fast uh, and they've got points of presence all over the planet. You could also look at Nord VPN, N-O-R-D VPN. And finally, uh, look at Proton VPN. And I'm going to circle back to them, but because uh, we're going to talk about Proton Mail here in a second, and that they're they're related, which leads us into the next topic, which, into my next topic, which is secure messaging. Um, and that messaging, there's two aspects. There's the you know we used to have instant messaging, right? Uh, AIM and AOL, you know, uh, MSN Messenger, and those kind of all morphed into mobile messaging apps like WhatsApp. WhatsApp is actually owned by Facebook, if you didn't know. Now, under the covers, they're using a very secure protocol called Signal. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, Facebook is about a, another advertising company. They're about learning everything about you as they possibly can. So even though it's extremely popular and, it, and Facebook bought them years ago for a lot of money, I would recommend Signal. In fact, the, one of the co-founders of WhatsApp that, of course, became a Facebook employee when Facebook bought their app for billions and billions of dollars, left Facebook, uh, I believe, because he did not like what they were doing with his app and put a lot of money behind Signal, uh, which is an open source free version of a very, very secure protocol. Uh, but it comes with apps too. So you can actually download the Signal app. So for General messaging, I would recommend Signal. Of course, that means that, unfortunately, everybody that you want to talk to also has to have Signal. And that makes it hard because, like Facebook and WhatsApp, there's so many people on those apps, it's really hard to get people to move because you both have to be on the new app. But I'm here to tell you, uh, Signal is definitely the way you want to go. So just give it a try. Download Signal. You can use, They have a Mac app, a PC app, an iOS app, an Android app. You can get it for basically every platform. Get your friends to try it, too. And, and then finally, if you get every, enough people on it, you can just give up on all the, all the other ones. Now, the second part of secure communication is email. And email is hard to secure. Uh, when they designed email decades ago, it was really not meant with, you know, built with security in mind or privacy. Uh, we've bolted on all sorts of things. In the meantime, we've bolted on PGP or pretty good privacy, uh, which is basically still the gold standard for encrypted communications. Um, Phil Zimmerman was the guy who created that. We've actually had him on the show. That's a great episode if you might want to go back and listen to that one. But it's it's hard. It's hard for, you know, regular people without any kind of tech savvy to use. It's a pain in the butt, uh, unfortunately. So what I would recommend instead is Proton Mail. Uh, it's based out of Switzerland. It's very, very secure. It's very privacy-oriented. They have a free tier, so you can start right now without paying anything. And you can actually uh, talk to anybody you want uh, on email. Like That email does work that way. Uh, unfortunately, if you want the 
the most secure version, you, the other person needs to be on ProtonMail as well. Um, they've got built-in encryption mechanisms that work well within the system. Uh, they actually do support PGP as well, um, if for some reason you're interested in that. Uh, but you got to realize with email and messaging and all these things that if anybody on the chain is using an insecure communication mechanism, everybody suffers because that, you know, if uh, somebody on ProtonMail sends an email to 50 people on ProtonMail and one person on Gmail, well, there's 51 people on the email and one of them is for, uh, has a Google account. And so therefore Google knows everything that was on that email. Uh, it's hard. So it's really hard to keep this stuff private. Uh, but it's important that we try these tools, uh, support these organizations that are doing the right thing, uh, and, and make it known that privacy matters to us. And, and in some cases, we're willing to pay for that. So uh, check out ProtonMail. They also have uh, a VPN service that comes with uh, the mail uh, called ProtonVPN. So you maybe want to try those two together. Okay, two more quick points. Uh, and some of these were also touched on by this, um, uh, some of my past guests and their little audio snippets. Uh, and that is be aware of all the apps you have installed, uh, both on your mobile phones and on your computers. Uh, if you don't use it, get rid of it. Uh, even those, th especially on your mobile phone, a lot of those apps, even if they're you know, idle and you're not actually using them, uh, can still access a lot of information and can still talk to the internet and still tattle on you. Uh, so if you're not using it, just ditch it. You can always re-download it later um, if, you, if you think you made a mistake. But uh, first up, just get, get rid of any apps that you're definitely not using. Next up, any ads that, or any apps you already have, make sure you double check all the permissions that you've given to that app. So that includes things like access to your contacts, access to, access to location, microphone, camera, uh, all those kind of things. Make sure that they need those permissions to do their job, their primary job. And unfortunately, we've we've already learned and we talked about recently how the weather app, which definitely you know needs to know your location to provide you the best weather forecast, was also caught selling that location to third parties. So it's not a panacea. You can just because, you know, an app does need your location for something doesn't mean they're not also using it for something you don't want them to do, unfortunately, which, um, you know, we need regulation for that. But in the meantime, review all the permissions you've given to all these apps uh, and revoke permission for things that they just don't need. You should also check and make sure that if you've given any third party access, if you've linked your Facebook app or your Google account to, uh, to other accounts. If you've done a sign in with Facebook or sign in with Google, you've actually created a connection between those two and they are data sharing. Uh, you can guarantee it. That's why, they, that's why they do it. Uh, but you can revoke those connections. So, uh, go into Google, go into Facebook, uh, go into your apps, check whatever apps and other services you may have given permission, uh, to view your data and make sure that you remove anything that you don't explicitly want. And finally, social media. This is a tough one. We've, you know, if you've gone all the way into Facebook and Pinterest and LinkedIn and Instagram and Snapchat, it, it can be really hard to extract yourself. Um, but if you can, if you can turn these things off, uh, do so, especially Facebook. They've, they've gotten caught red-handed lately doing all sorts of just horrible things. Uh, you know, so if you can do like I did and a lot of other people have done delete Facebook, just, just get out, um, go back to email, go back, <laughs> something simple. Uh, you can still communicate with all these people. You don't need Facebook for that. Um, there are other methods and thankfully I think there are some other companies that are coming around to offer an alternative, a privacy centered alternative, but they're not there yet. But in the meantime, you know, tell Facebook that, you know, that you like your privacy. Thank you very much. And they're not being good stewards of that. Um, 
but if you can't do that, at least go and do a privacy checkup on all of your settings. And they move these settings around. They give them weird names. They make them hard to change. I know it's, it seems like it's a losing battle, but take the time, do a privacy checkup. And there are some links. If you go to firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com and find my data privacy day, you can find some links there uh, in that checklist, as well as, you know, search on, uh, I've got an article about locking down your social media. Um, search on these articles uh, on my website, and it'll give you some further information about how you can actually practically go out and find some of these settings and, and dial back what you're sharing. Okay, that is it. That is my lightning round of privacy tips. There's probably plenty more I could be giving you, but uh, that, 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 that's a highlight. And uh, we've got some, of course, some great tips from, from Bruce and, and some of my previous guests in celebration of Data Privacy Day. Data privacy is a big, big deal, and it's, and it's, it's going to get bigger as we find out more and more ways that these companies are abusing our data and abusing our trust. So play, pay attention to that and do what you can to, uh, to mitigate that damage. Okay, now for the fun part. As I said at the beginning of the show, we're having a big contest. Thank you for listening. Uh, hopefully, we maybe maybe we brought you into the show for this, and this is it. Time for the contest. So, I am going to give away to five lucky winners uh, a free signed copy of my book, Firewalls Don't Sub Dragons. Also, a free signed and personalized copy of Click Here to Kill Everybody from Bruce Schneier. Wonderful prizes. All five winners are going to get that. Uh, also a press, my publisher has sent me a nice bundle of cybersecurity and privacy books. Those will be available as well. And I picked out five of my personal favorite cybersecurity and privacy books to include as well. And the way this is going to work is I'm going to draw, I'm going to have you going to give you an entry form and you're going to go and fill out that entry. And I'm going to draw five random people in order. And the top prize winner will get their choice. They're going to, everyone gets the five copies of my book. Everyone gets five copies of Bruce's book, all signed. Uh, and then the top winner is going to get their choice. Of, you know, one of the A-Press books, one of the other five books that I personally picked. Uh, the top winner also, in this case, is going to get a t-shirt and some stickers from DuckDuckGo. That is, that's the, the real uh, grand prize winner. Uh, but then after that, the, the second winner, after the first uh, winner t- makes their picks, uh, the second winner will get to pick their uh, choice from the A-Press bundle and their choice from my bundle. And it'll just go on down the line. And then, of course, the fifth winner will get what, <laughs> will get what's left. They're all great books, though. Uh, you, they're all great books. And, of course, everyone's going to get the signed copies, too. So it's a lot of fun. It's, it's actually quite valuable. Uh, these books add up to, to a good penny. So uh, here is how you enter. Pay attention. So you need to go to a bit.ly link. Bit.ly is an URL shortener, uh, and it's bit.ly, bit.ly, bit.ly. Uh, and you're going to go to bit.ly slash podcentennial. Uh, that's all lowercase. And it's spelled P-O-D-C-E-N-T-E-N-N-I-A-L, podcentennial, bit.ly slash podcentennial. Uh, again, HTTP colon slash slash, the usual, bit.ly slash podcentennial, all one word, all lowercase. If you go to that, that will be the entry form. Now, the other thing on the entry form that you have to listen to win is you need the secret passphrase. And (laughs) I'm going to make it easy on you. The secret passphrase is shockingly podcentennial. Don't worry about misspelling that one. I'll know what it is. If you put that in there, I'll figure it out. But you need to know the right spelling to get to the link in the first place. So uh, go to bit.ly slash podcentennial. Enter the form. Uh, the main things I'll need to, to, to notify you is I'll need a valid email address. Make sure you put in your correct email address. Give me your name and city so I can say, hey, Carrie from Morrisville, you're a winner. Uh, when I announce these next week, uh, tell me that. 
uh, and a couple other small pieces of information. Of course, privacy is my thing. I absolutely will not use these emails for anything else. The only thing I will use this email for is to contact you if you're one of the winners. So don't be worried about that. The deadline for this is Saturday, uh, Saturday, February 2nd. Uh, that's six days from when this podcast airs. So you basically got a week. Um, I realize that there are at least three time zones in the U.S., and some of you may be listening uh, across the pond. And if that's so, that's great. Um, just get it to me. Basically, uh, when I wake up Sunday morning, what I find for the entries are the ones I'm going to go through. So get it to me by Saturday to, to be absolutely safe. Now, speaking of foreign, uh, I can't promise to ship these things everywhere on the planet. So uh, I, my guess is most of my audience is in the United States. Uh, if Please enter anyway if you're not in the United States, and we will. I'll do what I can to make that work for you. Uh, but, you know, depending on where you, depending on your, where, where you live, uh, we may have to alter things a little bit. Um, but I will do my best. Uh, everybody will, will win something uh, if, if you get. If I pick your name out and I, for some reason, can't get you the books, uh, I will still give you something. So, uh, I told you the deadline, I told you how to enter, and now I'll tell you how you'll know if you win. So on next Monday show, a week from today, uh, I will announce the winners. I'll use the information that you gave me on the entry form to tell everybody, uh, that's listening to the podcast who won. So you get a little bit of zing there. You'll get your name on the, <laughs> you'll get your name, uh, set over the air. Uh, and then I will contact you, uh, within a day or so. I'll start reaching out to the winners in order. Like I said, uh, to have you pick your books, give me your, uh, shipping information and that sort of stuff. And I'll get those straight out to you. So that's it. That is the podcast. Uh, that is the contest. Uh, thank you again so much to Bruce Schneier for coming on the show. I really enjoyed that interview. I hope you did too. Uh, we'll have more great interviews coming up in the future. If you would like, there's actually on the forum, there's a place for you to give some feedback. So if there's any other topics or guests that you'd like to have uh, talked about on the show, that's a space where you can let me know. I'd very much appreciate that. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Hopefully, we've got some new listeners. Uh, if we've got some new people that really like this show, uh, there's still a week left. Uh, tell more friends. Tell more family. Put it on your social media. Say, hey, check out this show and maybe win some good stuff. Thank you so much. And uh, the way I always sign off is stay safe out there, everybody, and don't get caught with your garbage down. <laughs>